Hello, I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. <laughs> We've got the same dad. And I'm putting on a punk voice for today. That's a punk voice? It sounds like a soft-rocked American voice. <laughs> I've got the same dad! <laughs> I'm Dave. No, that's not fair, because they're not, they're not from... That's just, they're from Guildford, not South London, for goodness sake. Okay. We've got the same dad. We didn't meet until I was 16. So this is the podcast where we talk about an album that your your brother, brother should, should no no brilliant oh. right on the money okay welcome everybody today's album that I'm going to share with my brother Rob is Rattus I don't do you know I don't even know how to pronounce it that was a good start never actually said the words before and neither has anybody else or certainly not anyone that paid money for this album <laughs> Norvegicus 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 the Latin name for rat, for rat, anyway. Exactly. Uh, this is my first issue of the album. Bef- before even listening to it, uh, why is the dumbest music made shrouded in the most pretentious title known to man? Already, pfft. Well, originally it was going to be called Dead on Arrival. Yeah, which would have been more befitting because maybe it would have proved true and their career would have torpedoed to the ground where it belonged. <laughs> so the Stranglers are an enigma, a vicious snarling enigma. They rose to prominence during the punk era in the late 70s in the UK. But the question mark that always hangs over the Stranglers is, were they, are they punk? Well, they're definitely not now, but were they at the time? Um, they were too old to be punk to start with. Um, formed by drummer Jet Black. Brad name. Rad, no, Jet Black. Well, if you're Chris and Brian Duffy, you're going to change your name, aren't you? And he went with Jet Black. He was ancient. He was almost 40 and a, lo- a successful local businessman in and around Guildford to boot. So he was like the ice cream van king of Guildford, apparently, and owed an off license. But waited till he was, you know, mid-30s, almost 40, to, to get back into the music industry and formed a band around him with JJ or Jean-Jacques Bonnel, uh, an Anglo-French history graduate, also in his mid to late 20s. Uh, he played bass, but was uh, a highly trained classical guitarist. Very noisily. Very noisily. Hugh Cornwell, um, also a mid to late 20s graduate, biochemistry in this case, an accomplished blues player and writer of melodies and pop hooks. For like, professionally, he was a professional... Like yeah, he was just no, no, no. He was just knocking around the blues circuit. Um, to finish the lineup of this, uh, you know, pub rock or punk band. Yes, Dave Greenfield on keyboards. That's right, keyboards for a punk band. Dave Greenfield was a, a musician. Uh, had tried to have a career in Germany, earned a living apparently as a piano tuner. So there's a piano tuner in a punk band. But Wait, of all things, so we've got a, a historian, an ice cream van magnet. And not a non-professional musician, mm-hmm. writer of jingles that clearly weren't good enough to get paid for, and... A piano tuner. And a piano tuner. Yes. A piano tuner who wasn't, as is often thought, influenced by the Doors, but apparently whose favourite keyboardist was Rick Wakeman of Yes. So quite a long way from punk. And apparently they didn't do the punk thing. You know, they didn't hang out with Vivian Westwood in the sex boutique. They didn't dress like punks, as far as they were concerned. Punks were... um Sort of a bit wet, really. Jet Black described... Oh, the so they're pieces. harder than punk. Oh, they, they were definitely they were... harder than punk. As far as they was concerned, the comedy, the, the Sex Pistols was a comedy act. And they had a pub rock following. They'd been kicking around the pub circuit since the mid-70s. Uh, and apparently quite a violent uh, uh, kicking around the pub rocks. They had, a, they had a group of fans called the Finchley Boys who would quite happy weigh in when they needed to. 
if fans of other pub rock bands decided to uh, to kick off in a in a Stranglers gig. So for them, punk was an opportunity. They were a kind of angry, snarling band, and punk was angry and snarling. So it finally, uh, you know, they leapt on that opportunity opportunity to give them some success. Uh, I guess the final question of where they punk, Jet Black was asked that once. You know, are the Stranglers a punk band? And his answer was. I couldn't give a fuck. Um, a nicely punk answer to the question of are you punk? Um, it's probably worth noting from the beginning that they went on to evolve massively from this, their debut album, and the album after it, which was a little bit more of the same. Over lots of albums before Hugh Cornwell left, they had a huge array of musical styles, you know, pop, new wave, goth, straight ahead rock, ballady stuff, their biggest hit, you know, Golden Brown, etc. So this was very, very much a starting point to a whole kind of musical journey for them and their fans. But this was their opening statement, recorded in a week, reflecting their set at the time. It's a driving, snarling beast of a record with melodies aplenty, but with a, a rhythm section and bass sound that literally hammers you over the head and demands attention. Um, its problem is it's kind of aggressive, spat-out lyrics about anger, hatred, bit of humour in there, confrontation, are also about women and not in a very good way. They are a problem, we might as well acknowledge from the start. They were at the time and they still are. And that's a shame because the music is powerful enough to make a statement on its own. It's probably because of the music, not the lyrics, that it appears in NME's top 500 albums, in various thousand albums you must hear before you die. Robert Smith, The Cure, describes it as one of his top five albums ever. Um, Rob, what did you make of it? Well, I don't care if they call it punk or not, but I do know that this album was a timely reminder why I never liked, listened to, respected, or put any time into getting to know punk. It's everything that I imagined the genre to be and that scared me off a little bit. Basic, boring songs, poorly executed, stressing lyrical ideas, which are ugly at best and problematic at worst. Yeah, there was a lot that I found quite difficult about this album you mentioned women just then and i yeah that's the one thing we can't avoid talking about right let's let's hit that nail on the head i think uh you know i've only been acquainted with this album for less than a week but i there's at least four songs that i i, I noticed without even digging deeper said some very questionable things which yeah forced laugh which isn't isn't really appropriate so i don't know it's hard to get over that for a first time listener to be honest uh, yeah, I agree totally. For me, I've been on a real journey in the last week over this album because I haven't actually, despite it being on my list of, oh, I love that album, I actually haven't listened to it in years. It was an album I listened to a huge amount when I was 19, 20 and have dipped into my favourite tracks of. Were you an angry young man at the time? <laughs> I think we'll come on to that. Um, but I remember mainly the music and I still love the music listening to it again the bit I disagree with you I think musically the Stranglers always were a cut above punk not just because they had you know a keyboard but because they knew, they knew more than three chords uh, and had various kind of musically trained elements in their in their lineup I still love the music and I want to be able to love the whole album because I think the mixture of that ridiculous bass sound there are a lot of melodies and hooks that I love on this and the keyboards that gives a complexity in another layer I just love that sound I could listen to that all day and the tracks where the lyrics aren't a problem I absolutely adore still but the journey I've been on and to be honest I almost rang you and said you know what Rob I don't think we can do this album these lyrics are so offensive they're so terrible I think we just need to pull the plug we need to cancel the stranglers rasses norvegicus but then I thought well no it's at least worth the conversation I'm really interested to see what other people think can I tell you my journey with the lyrics it's a fairly long one but I need to tell you my journey sure 
Okay. So the first thing to say is this is not a standards of the time thing. You know, that thing where you look back 30 years and go, oh, well, it's, you know, it was different times then. People had problems with the lyrics of this album from the beginning. NME's Phil McNeil said uh, at the time, I'd have to think long and hard before I could find an album as grossly sexist as this. In a contemporary review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, more modern reviews have been kinder because the Stranglers... I mean, the Stranglers have always played a bit of a dance around this. On the one hand, they say, yeah, 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 we were trying to be controversial because we were trying to get on airplay on the BBC. And in terms of the track Peaches, that certainly worked. It was banned from the BBC and that obviously made it sell more records. So they agree they were trying to be controversial. But at the same time, they've always said, I was going to use the phrase hidden behind, they've always said that actually um, they were being satirists, that you need to take these lyrics with a pinch of salt. uh, And what they're doing is lampooning the attitudes behind them, uh, not actually saying that these attitudes are right. So this is the commentary on and a pastiche of toxic masculinity and misogyny and let's face it um abuse yeah that's what they would say do you you buy that well that's the journey i've been on i mean and to be fair to them there's you know in the well that could be true camp you know as their music evolved and they evolved although they were you know as we already said they were old to start with they're certainly their their subtlety creativity their lyrics you know there's no hint as they as they become older rock pop statesmen they start to get into talking about politics large and small and and there's no hint of misogyny quite apart from it so when they say we were satirizing actually i believe them but I think it didn't work and I think they got it wrong. And I do find these lyrics really offensive to the extent that they're having thought of this as one of my favourite albums. The journey I've been on is now this half this album I will never listen to again. Yet yet you put me through it. (laughs) Uh, I would say if it is indeed or even parts of it are meant satirically, it's it's done very clumsily and it, it should have been perhaps more apparent. And I might go as far as to suggest, you know, you said this was their first album. This is based on their live set. If you're playing some pub in South London, you know, shouting some controversial things and some beard up guys probably went a long way. Yeah. And it may not actually, it might not actually have been until it was on record and they were achieving their own notoriety and they're being reviewed by the snobby critics down in London and the enemy and et cetera, that they mm. maybe realized kind of how much, how far their foot in their mouth was, which is why I find it interesting that this album is so celebrated. Um, I don't want to have an argument about cancel culture. We don't have to cancel this album, but equally we don't need to celebrate it. Uh, why is it still showing up on these, these lists by Q and who, all the, all the very old white establishment music critics that are still, are still celebrating? That's the part that I find, uh, interesting. And you, you might, of course, turn the table and say, why is it in our podcast? But uh, I think hope, I hope Dave's already explained his own, the areas of his ways. And having put me through it, it's only right that I get the chance to talk about it. No, that's fair enough. No, that's that's exactly why I almost rung you and said, let's, let's not do this. Because it is odd that it is still there, out there, and, and you know hasn't been inverted commas cancelled. And yet the internet is full well, no, of... Well, no, um, it doesn't need to be cancelled. It could be ignored. It's not, yeah, well, it's, it's not a case yeah. that we need to stop selling it or, or censor it or we mm-hmm. can accept it as the product it is and you can buy into those lyrics or as satirically or otherwise if you choose to. Uh, what I find troubling, stroke amusing is that it is still being held up as a classic album when sure. I think at this point maybe it should quietly be sliding off those lists and being replaced by a different Stranglers album or maybe a more appropriate album altogether no i i agree i agree and yeah and and indeed so maybe it should it should slide off our podcast but there you go um so i guess we need to start off by talking about the one song i would have known before i heard the album 
which mm-hmm. which is a problematic moment, but certainly not the most problematic moment. No, we're, peaches. we're talking, of course, about peaches, which I, I guess yeah. there's, a, there's a some there's some kind of argument you could make that this is kind of a nod, piece of nod wink tomfoolery, and I'm sure it was very funny to thirteen year olds. So my entry into how the heck do I cope with the lyrics of this album was Peaches. The band say it was a Mickey take, a Mickey take of that misogynistic attitude. All right. So they're saying they met a slightly up themselves Dutch person who was so full of his kind of masculinity and was always lecturing and talking about women in that way. And they say that's how the song grew. And they were specifically lampooning that kind of awful objectifying misogyny. The problem with that is it's only a piss take if if people think it is. That's the problem. So it made me think of two things. One good, one slightly less less cool. So uh, do you remember Wright said Fred and I'm too sexy for my shirt? Mm. Remember that? I, am I do indeed. Sexy. Yeah, yeah. Now that no, but do, that, do, do, uh, no, I, I can't remember it at all, Dave. Do, <laughs> do. Oh, do you need me to sing it for you? Yeah. yeah, I'm. Um, yeah, I won't do that. So everybody knew listening to that doesn't think that they're they're celebrating. You know, again, it's the same thing. It's about they, the right said Fred guys saw some models coming out of the agency opposite where they were sitting, and just took the Mickey out of them. And no one there thinks they're celebrating, or actually thinks that the people singing that do think they're massively sexy. Um, and and uh, and uh, you know and should be models. Everybody knows it's a Mickey take of those people. A better or another example is Springsteen, born in the USA. I was going to say, okay, a very classic example of taken on by Reagan and every every yeah, exactly kind of- so conservative politicians since you can almost set your clock every five years you know it's in the headlines over here some idiot republican decides to use it as walk-on music and springsteen has to say oh for goodness sake i wasn't it's not a celebration yeah of and to a certain things. extent rocking in the free world as well i yeah. i think maybe even tub thumping on a more mundane level and bring it back to british culture sure drink a whiskey yeah, drink, yeah, drink yeah. a log drink yeah, I yeah, feel yeah, like yeah. No, yeah there's been a lot of kind of pastiches of lad culture especially in the 90s which i don't think were all seriously meant but Sure. You know, people bought into that lifestyle. And there's a lot of those revolving around the kind of frat mentality. I mean, actually, the most pertinent one of all, um, Mm. Fight for Your Right by the Beastie Boys. That was famously a takedown of the bros, the Budweiser drinking frat boys. So famously, there have been many examples of this. This is just another very clumsy one. Perhaps for me, the most tasteless part is the, you know, somewhere better to be down in the sewer. Maybe on a skewer. I'm just like, what, what, like, what are you going on about? This is just lazy. This is just really bad rhyming, really bad. And maybe, so maybe in that, their defense, that was the part we we're meant to realize as a pastiche because it was so flagrantly stupid. Sure. I mean, actually, I, I think, yeah, I quite like the line as to lots of people. Looks like I'm going to be stuck here for the whole summer. What a bummer. What a bummer. If it ended on what a bummer, that would have been fine. Yeah. But but then, I mean, actually, I quite, there's the bit, I think it's after that, where they, he sort of, rather than a break, he sort of goes, mm-mm-mm-mm. Now, to me, that's also signalling they're just kind of mickey-taking from this person that's so riddled with lust they can't even get a sentence out, and and they're just they're just full of, full of it to the extent that they're ridiculous. So I think you can make an argument for it, but ultimately, if you played this at my famous hipster dad barbecue i could play right said fred i could play the beastie boys i could play chumbawamba that's a really good example i think that's bang on the money rob that's exactly the same sort of thing i could not play this i couldn't play it. i have to sure? i have to spend the entire but yeah i'm really sure um, because a because my female friends and my, and my wife would leave or or i'd have to spend the entire that's the point it's only jokes aren't jokes if you have to explain them right 
that everyone knows that. And I would have to spend the entire barbecue explaining, oh, no, by the way, I'm playing this song by the Stranglers. And, and when he says walking on the beaches, looking at the peaches, he doesn't mean that's a good thing. I don't think mean that's a good thing. I, he means that it's a really bad thing that someone has that attitude. Just saying that. Oh, and the next line, that's also another example. You know, you would have to explain it line by line. And once you're in that level, I'm sorry, you might be satirising, but you failed artistically because you haven't got enough satire in it. I agree completely with the sentiment. I just think it says a lot about your barbecue guests. I think it's a song that's been so overplayed and it's so ubiquitous in British culture that I, okay. if I, I, well, feel like, I feel like most people just wouldn't notice or if they knew it, they already knew the joke or they didn't know the joke or they would wash over yeah, That's interesting. In well, case, I'll tell you what, it is summer, so I'll do that. And, uh, and when I have nowhere to live and no friends left, I'll have to come and live in, in Hong Kong with you. <laughs> that's like, you're you're right. <laughs> okay, fine. So that's the lyrics. Musically, it's worth it. I mean, I love it, music, but, and that bass. And did that work for you? Because you were quite scathing about the music as well on the album. But That was the one song that I did know and have known for many years. In fact, I remember sitting down as a aspiring guitarist. And I think that was a day when uh, my guitar teacher was like, right, now you're going to try the bass. And this is the song uh-huh. you're going to try and play. So um, I, I don't think at that age, even then, I quite got it right. But um, I don't think I had any sense of gro- groove. Um, yeah. And I think it's the one of the... There isn't a complete absence of groove on this record. In fact, I think the bass plays a lot of very bluesy figures and it's a far more interesting musical concoction overall than, yeah, the average quote-unquote punk band. And yeah, mm. I, I guess this is definitely JJ's moment. Like, this is his... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, th- this is what would so for better or for worse for his uh, reputation. This is what would be left on his headstone, composer of peaches. But yeah, um, <laughs> okay. yeah. But as I say, uh, as I know the song so well, and because the lyrics are so problematic, and because as I say, with or without the problematic nature, that's just the vocal delivery really detracts from the the performance. And I think that's actually true on a lot of the songs. I was going to ask you, are there two different vocalists on this? Because I feel like. Half the time, the vocals are completely distracting and just, I, I find mm-hmm. it difficult. I, I'll be just about getting down with the guitar groove and then someone will start singing. And I was like, oh, I can't engage okay. with this with or, with or without what you're singing. Although the, when, then when the lyric turns out to be objectionable, it's the moment you go, okay, I can, my choice is justified. But, but then a few, you know, half of them, I felt the performances were, you know, tolerable. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into that just as an aside. The Strangler's songs, you know, Lennon McCartney, they always say Strangler's songs written by all four of them. Actually, apparently the, the, the drummer didn't do much writing, apparently. It was Hugh Cornwell, the singing guitarist, Dave Greenfield, the keyboardist, and J.J. Brunel, the bassist, with Cornwell and Brunel thought to be taking most of the writing credits. And generally, they sing their own songs, but not always. So J.J. Brunel is the least, is the, is the, probably the songs you're talking about where you can't really understand it so much, and it's more barked and shouty and the delivery. I, I can understand and, it just well. I just can't stand it. You, okay, fair enough. You can't stand it. So he's on Ugly and he sings Princes of the Street and he sings London Lady. He apparently wrote To Lose but didn't sing it because he found it hard to sing and play the bass on that one at, at the same time. So Hugh Cornwall sings the rest. So I want to say that he's he wrote, he, he wrote all the problematic ones but then there's the first song that we need to address which, I mean, the, the opening line of the album kind of sets out its stall as, uh, as a difficult listen, shall we say. It does. Now, sometimes, so I was going to, yeah, that was the next one I was going to move into in terms of my problematic songs. When I was 19, I actually thought this as a song was just a song about being pushed to the limit as a, as a person. So, and, and not about being pushed to the limit by women, but, but by people in general and getting to the point where you're considering violence against 
anybody, probably in my head, a bloke, actually, because it's all, you know, sometimes you've gone too far. Sometimes you've got to shut your face. I'm just about to slap you, basically. Ah, and it's about that feeling of oh i'm so angry with with the world and quite and therefore quite a good way to kick off the album like this is going to be about anger fantastic now when you read about it you then hear the backstory that it is specifically about a row with hugh cornwall's girlfriend where he's thinking oh i'm gonna you know domestic violence is the way forward here so that gives you problems and then you go okay but that's the backstory of how it was the inspiration but let's look at the lyrics and see what they actually say and if you read all the lyrics nowhere does it mention the person they're being sung to as being female and and, and that's why i think i used to think it was just about the world in in general the two problematic words and it's the same word he's just it's, it's honey yeah that's it if you took honey out of this song I, I could listen to it and think and think what I thought about it, um, and I may even be able to listen to it and think and think. Well, you know, what you come was taking that feeling, but he's turned it into a more universal. This isn't about domestic violence. This is just about being so angry. You're acknowledging you're you're feeling that way. But he sings it. and He means it because he sings it twice. Honey, this is yeah. about. Yeah, I'm going to commit some violence against my girlfriend. And at that point, therefore, it becomes sort of horrific and horrible. You don't want you don't want to listen to it yeah. anymore. It's so funny because I think when I put it on, that first line jumped out at me and I instantly assumed it was about domestic violence and I had no reason oh. to back that up. Apart from maybe that you'd give me an inkling that this album was difficult, which could have interfered with me, but I just, for some reason, I just imagined that was the scenario. But you're right that I've got to fight, you know, suggests just, a, you know, potentially a, a troubled, beard up individual. And you could argue calling someone honey, you know, in those days at least, would have been quite a condescending, you know, sure. uh, it, way yeah. to address a bloke. Yeah, 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 I've, I've been through that too. And, but, and it's, the, it's useless asking you to stop, and I got a morbid fascination. Again, doesn't declaratively single it out as being a female, but I think taken together, mm. we're left to assume that very much. And yeah, the backstory that you have alluded, mm. again, they could have, you know, art takes on different meanings, and I'm really glad that you found... Uh, well, not exactly a positive yeah. use for this art, but you found you found a more constructive interpretation of this song. But yeah, I I just always assumed it was that way, and I hope that doesn't say something about me. It just the uh, the way it's being sung in the presentation, it sounds nasty. Yeah, so so that just becomes another song that I used to. My memory of it was, oh, that's a great angry song about lo- almost losing it that I now won't be listening to because I haven't cancelled it, but I've silenced it for my own use. Um, it's, it's a shame uh, as well because it's probably my favourite song musically. Ah, okay. The bass line is basically Peter Gunn, right? It's that blues, do 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 thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then it just kind of goes into like, well, I, I call it Doors on Beer. Like, I don't care what I don't care what the guy said. No, the way he's playing modal bits um, yeah. and also the use of the synth, they're both using these these modal. I guess it's Dorian. It's very very reminiscent of Break on Through actually what they're doing. Sure, which I can kind of appreciate the noodliness of it, and I think it's one of the moments where that synth and guitar noodliness works best. Mm-hmm. But now we've decided that we know it's for sure. Is it beyond reasonable doubt? Uh, yeah, I think it's beyond reasonable doubt. Uh, so despite that. Yeah. We're parking it. We're parking it. We're parking it. So then uh, my next problematic song is Princess of the Streets. Yes. So I've got to say again, uh, my 19-year-old self, 
I just thought this was a Mickey take of the blues. It's probably my least my my, my least favourite music. Well, I thought it was a really poor, lazy pastiche to fill the pub rock set out, but you know. Uh, okay, well probably both guess... it's probably both those things. They were probably doing it. I might be in a more cynical can... stage in my life than you were when you first heard it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're probably like, yeah, A, we're Mickey taking the blues, and B we live, we can stretch this one out for at least twenty minutes if we if we run out of set. So fantastic. It's the one I remember skipping even when I was nineteen, because once you've listened to it a few times, it's blues and it's not great blues. So it just—it's not very musically interesting, but lyrically, the way it's sung by J.J. Brunel, it sounds like he's taking the Mickey a little bit. And well, that's, that's it. His, de- his, his delivery is always so overblown and so always so intolerable, yeah. always so much of a caricature. Sure. And that's really what put me off. But I mean, this is one more reason you could argue that there's this element of artifice and sat- sat- satirism there. Yeah, thinking it was a Mickey take of the blues, I also thought it was a Mickey take of the person singing the blues. So, you know, a lot of it's fairly benign. You know, I've just, you know, she's gone and left me. Oh, I've missed her. Obviously, the real red hot, awful line is what a piece of meat. And genuinely, I kid you not, when I was 19, I heard that as taking the mickey out of the person singing it because they've gone, oh, I'm so heartbroken. I love this person. Oh, they're the best thing ever. And it's that, you know, we know people like that, don't we? Who go, oh, I'm so in love. And actually it just turns out that they just fancied them massively uh, and and saw them as just an objective physical thing. right? So they're saying, oh, it's an emotional soul thing. And actually as soon as the next person they find physically attractive comes in the room, they're like, well, hey, no, I'm, uh, I'm in love with them now uh, because, because I wasn't really, although I was heartbroken over there, I wasn't really in love with them at all. I had no emotion or mental connection with them, I was just lusting after them. So that's what I thought it was lampooning. In a pretty, very quick way, that kind of idiot person we all know that does think of whoever they're attracted to, male or female, as a, as a, as a piece of meat, but dresses it up as, as love and emotion, etc. That's what I thought. Having sort of gone through the prism of peaches and, and sometimes, I'm now just like, yeah... It doesn't come across and you'd have to explain it to too many people and even explain it to you now, having had a week of, of thinking about how to explain it, and it's taken me about 30 seconds to do so. So once you're in that world of having to explain satire, it's not really satire anymore, is it? And it just comes across as really, really horrible, misogynistic kind of alienation of women, does it not? You know, uh, it's the classic playground offence. Oh, I was joking, miss. Mm. I was joking. Yeah. Um, I feel I'm worried that you've missed one in your problematic okay. pun. Uh, L- London Lady? Oh, no. Don't worry. London Lady's on the problem list. Uh, yeah, no, just not quite in, in order. London Lady actually has the same issues for me in that I can make an argument for it and then there's just a couple of lines or I mean in the case of sometimes it's just one word that just tips it all over to the other side of of the scales so would one of those words be sausage yes of course it would (laughs) and the other would be mercy tunnel so so on the face of it it's almost I don't you're gonna laugh at this but it's kind of almost zapparesque the lyrics to this song okay it's kind of it you know I'm fine with the taking the mickey out of a certain type of vain up themselves London journalist you know the the dingwalls thing and when you see mirrors you get the shivers I'm okay with all of that is it they're taking the mickey out of that person I don't know I think okay I feel a sense of disquietude when I hear women described flippantly as stupid in songs from earlier eras obviously uh stupid girl by the stones and stupid girl by neil young both of them i find Uh, very difficult so when the third line of this was you're so stupid i instantly sure again i mean he's already said little lady so there's no there's no chance we know he's talking about a contemporary i instantly assumed this was probably someone he's in a romantic relationship with or lusting after 
or, yeah. or there's some reason that it, you know he's he's very frustrated about this person for reasons that are probably not entirely justified. So yeah. that 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 was just like an antenna when I mean I heard that like uh oh, which again is a yeah. shame because this one gets a bit of a groove on. It's this got you've got a kind of like New York Dolls ragged post rock and roll thing, uh, and then the vocals come in and it's just like. Ooh, I don't want to hear any more of this, and it's a very painful two and a half minutes ahead. No, I okay, I um, I agree with you musically. I think it's a real shame because I love it musically. I think it's a real proper punk pop song, and that really works. Yeah, I that um, if I was Zappa, which I'm not, obviously, I would say that part of equality is that people can be called stupid whether they're male, female, or whatever. And I'm now thinking through whether I agree with that or not. I hadn't picked up on the little lady bit. You're right, and that is really derogatory and horrible. So the thing that really just makes you go, is that awful making love to the music channel with a sausage? It's just that kind of typical derogatory. Well, she was a she was a certain type of person that slept around anyway, and in it and and and, and saying it in a, in, a, in a really derogatory way. It's that's just the bit where and you it just burns go, his ears. It burns his ears. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's yeah. suffering. Yeah, just from her talking. Oh. Yeah. What do you what do you make of the line plastics real when you're real sick, which is repeated ooh, eight times? <laughs> Lots. Plastics real when you're real sick. Um, well, yeah, actually, I do, well, I'm, I think they're saying that she's a very facile plastic person, and uh, and even plastic is real when you're as sick as she is. Mm. I, I don't struggle with that one so much as some of the well, as you've now said, the little lady stupid lines and the and the Mersey Tunnel line. I mean. The line, why did you lay me, is certainly one that she's probably uh, been debating for the rest of her life. Indeed. So so there we are. You've got Peaches, Prince of the Street, London Lady, Sunshines, which I now don't ever really want to listen to again. And then there's there's Ugly. Um, mm. And that's, that's also on the problem list for me. I should um, bloody well hope so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... It's a ramble, and so it's quite difficult to to make head and sense of it, you know. And and on one level, you can say, well, it's um, it's a ramble about beauty, aesthetics, attraction, wealth, power, and strangling someone because they laced your coffee with acid. Uh, it quotes Ozzy Mendes from Percy Shelley, a poem that explores the fate of history and the rages of time. And so, you know, and there's a great line: uh, "It's only the children of the fucking wealthy that turn out to be good looking," and that's that's quite cool. Uh, and an ugly fart attracts a good-looking chick if he's got if he's got money. I- I'm all right at that with that. Although you know the word "chick" is not great, but as a kind of encapsulation of their oh, of their feeling. Uh, come on, go on. Hair up, it's yeah. fine. Yeah, but then then he has to bring a uh, race into it. Yeah, well, and then that's the the real struggle. Is that line again? It's different for Jews somehow. I and 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 it's that bit that made me go what. Where are you? And it, you know, I've therefore googled, you know, stranglers, anti-Semitic, etc., and nothing comes up about that. That line, it's really confusing. Is he saying that it's because it's just it's in and around the an ugly fart attracts a good-looking chick if he's got money? And is he saying that that's not true for Jewish people, or that is even more true for Jewish people? And even so, why are Jewish people getting singled out? The whole thing leaves a very nasty taste in your mouth, and you go. Do you know what? I'm just going to put that in the list of I won't listen to that either because I can't make head to tell of it and I think it's probably offensive. Yeah. I mean, musically, I wasn't exactly a fan of it either. It's a kind of dirty mess. And yeah, I, I found the piece. The title was very befitting of the art. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so... So what were we, what we left with? If you were to well, exactly. So I, where I got... Let, let, if you were to conceivably li- keep listening to this album yeah, yeah, yeah. for the yeah. rest of your life... 
how yeah. many minutes of music are left and what's on what's, <laughs> not, what's on not, your ep not, not many so I, I do feel guilty of recommending you an album of which now i would only have four songs that i would listen to which is goodbye to lose hanging around get a grip on yourself and down in the sewer so goodbye to lose oh uh, was this just about jj going to maybe on a very small scale tour or maybe it's going on a bad family holiday and just not having a very good time no, it's uh, it's a reference to Nostradamus's prediction that Toulouse was going to explode in some kind of Armageddon-type thing. And so it's just a riff on assuming that's happened, hence the big explosion at the end. So it's just a kind I of... really thought he just had a bad kebab on holiday and was just like, yeah, well, so long! So long, Toulouse. So, and as that, I, I kind of quite quite cool. I mean, I don't... I mean, it's probably offensive. Is it offensive to the good people of Toulouse? I don't know. But uh, I kind of, you know, thought it was quite a nice song with a good melody and some nice harmonies and and i enjoy it yeah i wasn't super bowled over i guess hanging around is the one we're actually left with which i think was probably a single right like that yeah you know that works for me as a bit of a slacker anthem you know it's got a chorus it works i think you know that would definitely be in my top three on the on the album uh and it's the only one of the top three that i'm you know now allowed to listen to so sure. yeah sure. It had a tinge of kind of early 70s kind of like alice cooper stoogie kind of like you know, mm-hmm. that kind of swaggery proto-punk thing, which I can take. I love hanging around. I can listen to hanging around. Well, I, you know, I, could, I have to now because it's what's left. But I think it's or a brilliant track. Or you could track. just burn the CD. I could do. But uh, um, it's a picture of the people and places in London where they used to hang around. And I just, uh, you know, that kind of picture of people just doing nothing with nothing in their lives. But I just love the energy of the chorus. And I don't know whether it's just me, but I always expect mentally or, or musically, I expect it. There's these long-held chord progression with these these kind of long-held notes. It goes da da da, and I expect it to do a fourth one before the chorus comes in, and he comes in much much quicker than you think he comes in on the fourth one uh as it as it resolves and i find the energy of that just constantly i can listen to that constantly i, d- I just think that's a, a master stroke uh and i saw I, in doing this i saw a, a live do, them doing it live in 77 in some pub in london and that came across really well too really love that really love get a grip on yourself as well great picture really kind of pre-fame rock and roll yeah Again, maybe in the context of what we've, what we've just discussed and how they're complaining about everything, but this just seemed even more trite that after taking on such horrible subject matter, you're now essentially just like a petulant little child whining that you're not making loads of money for playing music. Like you're entitled to somehow be rich and famous for churning out this kind of misogynistic shit. So no, I didn't know that at all. And I thought, and I thought okay. musically it was a complete dirge. And it's got a okay. saxophone on, which is completely yes. inappropriate. Which so, is no, great. I, I, did not, is... I did not, uh, I did not okay. enjoy that one at all. I given think given this said... is a, supposed to be a sort of punk classic, I think it's brilliant. It's got a, um, a saxophone on Although I do, I, I get you now, because he says the worst crime that I ever did was play some rock and roll. No, Hugh Cornwell, the worst crime you ever did was write the lyrics to Peaches, is, is the answer, I guess. Yeah. Okay, but the one, the other one I did like of the, of the mm-hmm. trio uh, was the closing medley. I think, well, at least until they started singing. I think the first 90 seconds were thrilling. You know, they've got one musical idea, and then it comes in with, what is actually a really quite cool riff. Uh, it's got mm-hmm. a kind of twanging, slow, almost rockabilly thing to it. And then I guess there's, what, three or four different stages. It's odd that it's called a medley because it seems like definitely some stages repeat. So it's not so much a medley as as a song with more than two musical ideas in. And yeah, I did, again, find the vocals grating at time, but then the cool riff comes back and I'm happy. And so, yeah, I, I think musically, the you know, sometimes and this were the ones that I took away most. And, and, and if this one is 
the one I'm allowed to listen to. I probably won't out of uh, <laughs> out of solidarity with everybody that they've offended, including myself. But yeah, I, I feel like this is the most the album has to say musically. Lyrically, I'm not so sure about being down in a sewer and being a rat and all that stuff. There's probably a story you want to tell me. Yeah, so Down in the Sewer, I love it, obviously. As is obvious to you, I came to this album after listening to Prog Lock Rock a lot, so to find a prog punk suite was excellent with little sections to it. Musically, I think it's both compelling, energetic, and got a complexity to it, uh, which I like. The story of being down in the sewer, it comes from a a 1975 BBC um, drama called The Survivors, where it's a a post-apocalyptic world where one in five... 5,000 people survive some kind of virus or something and it's about how those survivors survive and in one episode London Calling sorry not London Calling that's the Clash album uh, Lights of London they have they tried to get to London uh, and the only way into London is through a sewer and, and that was the inspiration of it I, you know, with The Stranglers, the down in the sewer thing, I kind of, you know, there's a justification-ish for the album about everything that's gone before is just about being in a sewer. We're all down in the sewer, uh, really, and you can dress yourself up with all sorts of pretensions, but we're all just, you know, ultimately trying to survive in a, in the sewer that is the world. I guess that's where I, conceptually, I think that's what they're pointing to. So, uh, yeah, of the four remaining songs we can listen to, this is by far my favourite, and it plays out at live. I've heard it on on various live albums and things and it's an absolute you know sort of monumental piece so let's just run down the mini ep of uh mm-hmm. non non offensive songs on <laughs> ratius norvigicus which is an offensive title already so uh, we, we've got goodbye to loose which is lampooning yes. no just blowing the, up to the good people of france but okay yeah, yeah. great yeah. And we've got Hanging Around, which is a celebration of being a, a you know, slacker a, loser. A, yeah, yeah. Job, yeah. Jobless, jobless slacker. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. And we've got Get a Grip on Yourself, which is basically complaining about not getting famous. Yeah. Pre fame rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. And then Down in the Sewer about being a rat and surviving. Yeah. yeah. That's what we got. Well, well hey. I, I, we, we've, we've rolled enough on this bile of lyrical mediocrity and hatred and all things problematic. I think it's time to talk about what this album means to us. And I did wonder if, uh, you know, We've spoken about my impending midlife crisis woes. I wondered if you recommended this as some kind of antidote, because if so, it was (laughs) utterly (laughs) ill-founded. No, no, I... I recommended this because my memory of it was as a driving energy fueled burst of anger and a bit of music complexity, which I thought you would enjoy. And as it turns out, I, I still find the energy behind it brilliant. It's not quite as musically complicated, complex as I remember, and I appreciate that. And as we've rehearsed hugely, uh, you know, there's just too many lyrical problems for, for more than yeah. half the album. Um, well, for what it's worth, I was mm. engaged by some of the music. I did find a lot of it a thankless dirge, and I, I, I feel mm. like, yeah, the super loud bass and the whiny synth was a bit much. But I definitely heard some interesting ideas from the guitarist, and I could see that they... I can imagine this band going on to bigger and better things, and it's a really interesting thought experiment if we could play up what, what I would have thought this album without all the reasons to hate it, which we've discussed. Mm. Sure. So did this, did this album play any significant role in your life apart from, you know, 
soothing your angry young man period uh yeah it did uh it was my gateway drug out of prog <laughs> this is this is how i escaped prog yeah. i <laughs> i think every album you've discussed in this show has been your gateway out of prog so far <laughs> that's actually true um, um it was one of my gateway albums out of prog you see the problem is i'm desperate to play you prog but i can't do that because you know no one will listen so uh yeah it was one of my entry routes out of prog and it was my entry into, I had it on cassette, into The Stranglers. And as I say, I think the thing about The Stranglers is they did evolve massively through through the 80s, really. I mean, they, they had 10 albums with Hugh Cornwall, um, Feline, Black and White, Oral Sculpture, La Folly. That's just a few of them. And they're all... They, and you've they, got them all? I have got them all. And what I like about a band like that is you can follow the journey and you can go, oh, well, they, they did try this style next and they tried this style next and some with success, some with less success. But it's certainly not that kind of you bought one oasis album you've got them all they are very very distinct musical entries into a library that are quite are quite nice to to enjoy and watch the development of i'm, I'm going to interrupt enough on behalf of oasis fans the world over and say you're completely mistaken and now i was flirting with it anyway but listeners in a future episode <laughs> we're doing be here now we're gonna Excellent. go there i love a bit of co-oasis can't get enough of it um it's interesting you say talking about the different stages of their evolution because whilst I'm not familiar with this album or any of their heyday albums, I did have a brief brush with some of their early noughties material. Okay. So, funny story, you may or may not be aware they did an album called Norfolk Coast. Yes, that was, I was going to mention Norfolk Coast. It was, what, it was written about this crazy occurrence where they found like a mini stone hedge off the coast of Hunstanton in North Norfolk. Okay. And the reason I know that is that's because it's quite close to where I grew up and... At a certain point in my early journalistic career, I had the unenviable job of interviewing JJ Burnell for a very awkward 30 <laughs> minutes on the phone, uh, primarily about the fact they were playing some Norfolk stately home. I think they were sharing a bill with Simply Red or someone equally ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, for, for the interview, I obviously said, you know, I need to hear some music. I always did this when I interviewed people. I'd, I'd ask their press team to send me free CDs, primarily so I could sell them on. For whatever reason, I wasn't able to sell the albums they sent me, which was the newest album at the time, uh, Sweet 16, and indeed Norfolk Coast, because... That was the content of my, you know, article at the point. I don't really remember Norfolk Coast, but I do remember really enjoying Sweet 16. So maybe you should check that one out, Dave. Okay, that's a, a good recommendation. And, you know, that's interesting because after the 10 albums and the last one being 10 that Hugh Cornwall is on, he, he famously left uh, and has famously never spoken to the band since despite all that um, success they had together. And again, did the famous, you know, Roger Waters, Pink Floyd and um, Roger Hodgson, Super Trap thing, which we already discussed, which is the, the, I mean, he was the primary songwriter. He left and everybody carried on following the Stranglers and going to their gigs and not at all going to his gigs or buying his albums. Um, But I would say uh, his solo albums, there's there's three in a row in the uh, sort of uh, mid 90s, early 2000, Guilty Hi-Fi and Wired, Thoughtful Pop Rock. I like them quite a lot. I would... um, I'd recommend those. The Stranglers, yeah, they kind of, you know, what you do when Hugh Cornwall leaves, um, you sort of dine out on your back catalogue for quite a while, including his, live. But yeah, had this sort of renaissance. And the one I know about but have never heard of is Norfolk Coast, which is largely thought to be their their kind of brilliant swan song uh, and, and the one to, to check out their later stuff. And, you know, I'm not surprised JJ Brunel was grumpy. It must be awful for these people, and especially Hugh Cornwall. You know, you listen to you know, any interviews, you, you, you look into him now and... He must have just been asked the question, why did you leave the Stranglers and what do you feel about that now? Every single time he meets a journalist for anything. I mean, on the one hand, uh, 
I'm obviously feel outraged. I didn't ask JJ about all the lyrics we've just discussed. <laughs> um, bear in mind, this was the pre-Spotify age and I wasn't familiar with them. But pretty much from what I recall, he wasn't unkind. He was fulfilling the obligations sure. of playing a Norfolk County Hall in what was probably his <laughs> 50s, which is giving a long but not super extensive interview to a local paper and sure. talking primarily about Norfolk Coast, which I think he did enjoy talking about because that was clearly an album he was proud of. Yeah. So, Dave, this is normally the part of the show where we do further listening and you tell me which two or three records I should go off and listen to by The Stranglers. But to be quite honest, notwithstanding JJ's relative charm on the phone 15-odd years ago, uh, I've got no real interest in exploring this problematic band any further. Is there any music related to this that i should go and hear well that would be a tragedy i don't think this album should put you off the stranglers as a as a band because yes <laughs> the, the lyrics of this deeply offensive but say so they evolve both musically and lyrically to a world where i think you might quite like it the obvious parallels for other bands you know as buzzcocks the clash their contemporaries the people i've always found the most similar to is nick cave and the bad seeds Oh, because they Nick Cave, you know, obviously also grew out with the birthday party, that kind of sort of angry punk scene type thing, and then uh, evolved into a more, well, a much richer and, and kind of wider musical diversification. And I think the Stranglers, sort of, for me, the Stranglers have always been a slightly angrier, perhaps not quite as good Nick Cave and the and the, and the Bad Seeds. But so, I, if if you're if you're a Stranglers fan and you've never explored Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, you really need to do that. That's what I'd say. Well, Dave, you are on. I'll show you Divisive Oasis, and you can show me Nick Cave. <laughs> Sounds good. So that was an odd one because I recommended to my brother an album that I don't feel I can recommend to anybody anymore, um, other than for uh, what arguably I think. At least it was me, huh? At least it was you and our millions of podcast listeners. Rob, what am I going to be listening to next? I need I need a shower after that. (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, I think it's this exercise has only highlighted the painful absence of any female musicians in this series to date so i'm gonna recommend a record which i uh really fell in love with as so many other hundreds of thousands of people did during the pandemic let's do fetch the bolt cutters by fiona apple okay looking forward to it thanks for listening everybody